Independent Baptist Church is, it's what that song was about, Jesus, the Son of God. That's what we're all about. Thank you, Connie. Fellas in the back there, we're going to give out our tract reports now while we uh, get our Bibles out. Turn to Genesis chapter 22 there again. Go ahead and give them to everybody. Just give them out there. This is for our tract month. We uh, have set a goal to give out 10,000 tracts, divided the church into two teams, the delightful feet and the dazzling feet. Our theme is beautiful feet from Romans, and uh, we've already reached our immediate goal. And uh, if you notice over on the wall, we're up past 6,000 tracks for each team. So that puts us well over 12,000. We're just going to keep right on plugging away. This is the last week. Next Sunday, we'll take up our last report. And uh, what we'd like for you to do is on this report, if you would, write down how many tracks you gave out last week uh, since last Sunday. If you don't know the exact number, you can estimate, but like we always say, please do not exaggerate. Be as accurate as you can. And then drop in in the offering plate a little bit later. I feel obligated to suggest that you don't drop them in the offering plate in place of your offering. (laughs) Drop them in addition to your offering, please. I think, I want to congratulate, where is he at? Sam Thomas, where's Sam at? Is he... Is he down? Oh, that's right. That ball game's going on. I've forgotten. No, no, I'm kidding. Uh, when you see Sam, uh, you need to congratulate him. I don't know if I didn't see it in the paper, but I heard uh, he's in this robots competition, and they won first place in the world for uh, their device they came up with, some methane thing, and um, and they won first place out of Garrett County in the world competition. And uh, so we're very proud of Sam, and uh, we're grateful for what the Lord is, the abilities God has given him. You know, it's really irritating when a 13-year-old kid knows more about stuff than you do. You know, it's just, I, he was explaining it to me, I had no clue what he was talking about. But uh, we're very proud of Sam. Genesis chapter 22, verse number, well, let's just look at verse 5. Brother Charlie read the passage, look with me if we would at verse 5. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship, and come again to you. I thought this was very interesting here, where Abraham tells the servants, says, the lad and I, my son Isaac, we're going to go up in the mountain, we're going to worship God. Now if you know the context, if you paid attention when Charlie was reading earlier there, God had instructed Abraham to take his son, his only son, and take him up on the mount, and there on the mount, he was the Mount Moriah, he was to sacrifice Isaac to God. And the instructions were obvious. He was to literally build an altar, put Isaac on it, kill Isaac like you would a lamb or a sheep or an oxen and offer him as a sacrifice to God. We'll get into it a little bit here in a moment, but Abraham without hesitation obeys God. And he takes his son, takes the wood, he brings the fire, and he heads off to where God told him to go. When they get there, at the bottom he leaves everybody down and he says to them, we're going to go up there and worship. He's going up there to sacrifice his son. And Abraham calls it worship. 
Now, we know the end of the story. We know how it turns out. We we know what God was doing the whole time. We don't know how much Abraham comprehended what was going on. I think it's interesting, at the end of verse 5 here, he says, uh, I and the lad will go yonder and worship, and then he adds that last phrase on, and come again unto you. So apparently, Abraham understood that if this was the promised seed, I'm going to sacrifice him to God, New Testament tells us Abraham believed God was able to raise him up, give him back to life, and he would come back down again. But worship, sacrificing my son to God. I'm entitled the message, Abraham's Worship. Let's pray and ask the Lord to speak to our hearts. Father, we are grateful for your goodness to us. And Lord, we do... uh, appreciate the fact that this Bible is your word, a sacred book, an eternal book, the pure word of God. I pray we not take it lightly. I pray we not be negligent in the next coming moments as we look into your word. We would take what's said and what's presented seriously. I yield myself to you anew this hour, Father. I ask that you would fill me with your spirit, present to you anew my body. I pray you would be our preacher this morning, dear Holy Spirit. Give us open hearts and open minds. Lord, if there's anybody in the sound of my voice that does not have the assurance that their sins are forgiven on their way to heaven, I pray, Lord, that today would be the day of salvation. I pray those of us that know you, that our faith would grow and be strong. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Abraham, like so many other great men of God in the Bible, his life was, in many ways, a life of contradictions. We think of Abraham, we think of a man of great faith. As I just referred to, when he takes Abraham, he takes Isaac up on the mount to sacrifice him, yet he believes that God is able to raise Isaac up again and bring him down. A man of great faith. He's referred to as the father of the faithful. But yet Abraham... Though he was a man of great faith, he was also a man of great failures. His strength, as we think of Abraham, his strength was that of faith. But yet, when he first shows up in Canaan, we made reference to this in a message recently, when he first shows up in Canaan, where God promised God would take care of him, where God directed him to, as soon as he gets there, there's a famine, and rather than trusting God, he flees to Egypt. And so a man of great faith, yet exercises very little faith, and fails. And not once, but twice. A man of great faith who trusts God to abandon everything and just strike out, not knowing where he was going, trusting God. And yet, when he does get down to Egypt, he's scared that they're going to take his wife, so he lies about his wife and has his wife lie. What a contradiction. He's a man of great faith on one hand. On the other hand, he's a man of great failure. Abraham, like so other men of God, and we could go through the Old Testament and even the New Testament and give illustration after illustration of other men that were the same way. On the one hand, he's a man of great courage. You remember when Lot was taken, the five cities joined together, invaded, took Sodom and Gomorrah, and, and took Lot as a prisoner. You remember the story? And Abraham gets his servants together, and man, he heads out after him and defeats those, uh, that uh, uh, conglomeration of, of armies and rescues Lot and his, his things, brings him back. Man, what courage! 
but yet he's afraid of losing his wife. And rather than trusting God, he listens to his wife and he goes in, commits adultery with a handmaiden. Courage on one hand, cowardice on the other. His life is a life of contradictions. You can see that in Moses. You can see the same thing in David. You see it in Elijah. See it in the life of Peter. So what does that tell us? These great men that we admire and they seem bigger than life to us, and yet we see this. What does that mean to us? I think there's several things. One, whenever, when, whenever we are on top side, maybe you're closer to the Lord you've ever been. Maybe you're having victory in your life. Whenever we're on top side, don't get too high because failure could be tomorrow. Don't get too puffed up. Don't start thinking, man, I've obtained. I've arrived. I'm there. Man, things have never been going better. I've never been close to the Lord. I've never been known my Bible like I do. I've never been used of God like I am. Don't get too puffed up because tomorrow everything could collapse. So when things are on top side, things are going well, don't get too high. But on the other hand, when things are going wrong, and when you're down, and when you're defeated and beaten, don't get too low, because God can take that and turn it around, bring something good out of it. And you see that all through the Bible. These contradictions. And yet, God has a plan. May fail tomorrow. Maybe in the midst of that failure, God can take that and turn it around and bring some glory out of it. And really, that's what spiritual growth is. Spiritual growth is a series of trials and often failures. That's what it is. Again, in the life of Abraham, you find him step out in faith. God calls him from the land of Ur, the Chaldees, and he says, "Uh, pack your stuff, I'm going to take you to a city whose foundation and maker is, founder and maker is God. And uh, man, he strikes out not knowing where he's going to go and trusts God, and God brings him to Canaan land, and then he faces a test. There's a famine. Is he going to trust God? Is he going to flee? He flees. And over and over and over again, spiritual growth is a series of trials. Spiritual growth is often like this. How many folks here, you're saved, you know it? Say amen. Amen. I think back to the time I was saved, 20-some uh, years ago. And... Uh, uh, you get saved and God begins working in your life. Can I get a witness on that? God starts working in your life. Man, God's changing things. The way you see things, the way you think about stuff, things that are important to you, all that changes when you get saved. And boy, you start growing. You tar- start taking steps forward. You start doing what the Lord says. You know, I got saved. I got baptized. Started attending church faithfully. Started reading my Bible. Started trying to be a witness and sharing my faith with others. But it goes like this so often. We'll take two, three steps forward, and boy, then we'll hit a trial. Boom. What happens? We take two steps back. And then God will stir our hearts, and God will start changing. We'll take two, three steps forward. We'll start growing. And boom, we face the devil. The devil throws stuff in our face. Face a trial. Take two steps back. Now, ideally, we would all just grow and grow and grow and never have a failure, never have lack of faith, just go forward. But it never happens that way, does it? Not in the life of Abraham, not in the life of Moses, not in the life of David, and not in your life and not in my life. It's a series of trials. 
And here's the interesting thing. And again, you see this in the life of Abraham. And it leads up to chapter 22. It seems like those trials, the stronger my faith gets, I go through one trial and however I respond when I'm done, I learn to trust God and, and uh, I know God will do what He says and God will take care of me and I learn to trust Him. And I go a little bit and then another trial comes. seems like that second trial is a heavier trial than the first one. And then that third trial is a stronger trial than the second one was. And as we grow, as our faith grows stronger, the trials become heavier. Here's where a lot of people mess up. Here's where a lot of Christians, and we can, I think we can thank a bunch of the TV preachers for this. A lot of Christians get the idea that the longer I'm a Christian, the more I know my Bible, the more faith I have, the, the less severe my trials will be. And when my faith is really strong, and boy, I'm really close to God, then it'll be easy, the trials will be minimal, the bills will be paid, the health will be good, and God wants me to prosper, and it'll just... Brother, it's the exact opposite a lot of times. I, I, I like, I haven't been to one in years, but I like tractor pulls. Anybody here like tractor pulls? Where's Stuart Harvey? Stuart's definition of a tractor pull is different than other people's definition. Stuart's definition is tractors pulling him. We'll explain that later in prayer time. I like tractor pulls. I haven't been to one in years, but you know how a tractor pull works? We're in the country here. Folks understand this stuff. Now, if I was back home, they wouldn't know what I'm talking about. But. Tractor pull, that thing, ain't they got the big engines, all those modified ones, and ah, that thing takes off. Ah, and they're pulling a weight in the back. And you know what happens? The, far, the more that tractor advances, what happens to the weight? Slides forward, gets heavier and heavier and heavier. The more that, the farther that, the more that tractor advances, the heavier that burden becomes. You know, that's the way it is in a Christian life. God knows what we can bear. And God knows that a young Christian wouldn't be able to bear the burden, maybe somebody that's been walking with God for years. And the interesting thing is, when Abraham came out of Ur of the Chaldees, and he was just beginning the life of faith, God didn't ask for his son. One until years later. In fact, if you count them, Abraham went through nine trials before you get to Genesis chapter 22. He tried and failed, tried and failed, tried and trusted, tried and failed, tried and trusted. And he went through a series of burdens, series of trials, and each one was heavier, and each one was a more difficult trial. And now we get to Genesis chapter 22, and God asked for his son. And the greatest trial of his life. Do not think that Christian growth produces lighter trials. Christian growth produces stronger trials. Heavier trials. Yet a soldier joins, joins up. My boys have some friends, different places have been joining, different various branches of the military. And you know, that guy's in boot camp. He's fresh out of boot camp. They don't send him on some difficult mission. You know what they do? They pull certain guys aside, and they give them advanced training, and they 
really work them and they uh, give them all this special training and they become what's called a special force, then they get those difficult, those dangerous ones. They're sent into these all things. Why? Because they've advanced in the training. Don't send some greenhorn out into these type of things. And that's the way it is with the Lord. As we advance in our faith, as we grow in our faith through trial and error, success and failure, God increases the test. He increases the burden. The tests that uh, uh, Brother Pat takes in whatever degree he's at working up, the tests he's taken now at his level of education are far greater than the tests he took in 101 classes, I guarantee it. As you advance, the trials, the burdens, the testing gets harder and heavier. Say, oh, brother, brother Leatherman, I can't wait to grow in the faith in that case. <laughs> but God has a plan. And when He tests us and tries our faith, that is so that He can use us in greater capacities for the glory of God and the advancement of the gospel. We can see the strength and maturity of Abraham's faith. When you get to Genesis chapter 2, God tests his faith with an unbelievable trial. Now put yourself, those of us that have children, those of us that have sons, put yourself in Abraham's shoes and what God asked him to do. And we can see the maturity and the strength of his faith when God says to him uh, in verse number 1, he says, uh, uh, Abraham said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here am I. And look at verse 2, he said, Take now thine son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I shall tell thee of. How would you respond to that? Think of your child, of your son. What would you do if that was you knew it was God telling you to do that? You can see Abraham, the strength of his faith... In verse number 3, when he said, the Bible says, And Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him, and his son clave the wood, and went to the place which God told him. We can only speculate what that night was like. We can only speculate what went through Abraham's mind. But we see that he obeyed immediately. I see no hesitation here. I see no argument with God. I see no questioning. It's just get up and do what God said. And then you get to verse number 5 at the end, and he says, the lad, uh, I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again unto you. He uses the term worship. I think Abraham had gotten to the point in his Christian life, in his spiritual walk with God, he had gotten to the point where though he loved the gifts that God had given him, but his focus was not so much on the gift, Isaac. Remember, Isaac was a promise of God, was a gift from God, a miracle child. But his focus was not so much on the gifts that God had given him, but he'd gotten to the point where his focus was on the giver of the gifts. And he could worship God because the focus of his life was not so much what God had given him, as wonderful as they were, but his focus was on the giver of the gifts. And his love and his trust and his faith, his commitment was to the giver, was to the Lord, not to the gifts. And we have a Christianity in our land today where we are in love with the gifts. 
We love our Isaacs and we love our things that God has given to us and we love our freedom and we love this and that and the prosperity God has given us. We love our health. We love all these gifts that God has given to us and we forget about the one who gave them to us. And we don't see Him as having any authority in our life. We don't see Him as having any say in what our lives are like or the direction our lives take or how we live our lives. And we've completely eliminated the giver because we love the gifts. And Abraham had gotten to the point where it was the giver, not the gift. You say, you mean he didn't love his son? He absolutely loved his son. God recognized that in verse 2. Look, he says there, he says, take now thy son, thy only son, whom thou lovest. There's nothing wrong with that. That was right and normal. And he uses the term worship. And that is what worship is. Focusing on the giver, not the gift. Now, the term worship is a difficult term to define. How do you give the definition for the word love? How do you explain that? People have tried to define love for years. Love is something almost that you have to, it's almost something you have to do to really understand what it is. We've been dealing with it on Sunday nights, husbands love your wives, defining what love is. Uh, Grace. How do you define the word grace? How do you explain in words what grace is? Now, when we've experienced the grace of God, we know what it is, but how do you define it? It's very difficult. That's the way the word worship is. How do you define what worship is? How do you explain it? People have tried. Here's my definition. And like I said in Sunday school, I like this definition. I like a lot of the things I come up with. But um, I think this is a good definition of worship. Worship is recognizing who the Lord is and the position He holds and recognizing who I am and the position I hold. Worship is simply recognizing that God is God. He is Lord. And I recognize who He is and the position He holds. And I recognize that I am the created one. I am His creature. And I am in submission to Him. The world views it the other way. The world views God as my servant. God, you've got to give me this. God, you've got to do this for me. And I'm the one in authority. That's not the way, that's not true worship. Worship is God is God. I'm the creature. He's the Lord. I'm the servant. He is holy. I'm unholy. He is just. I'm guilty. And that's what worship is. Too often, we're more preoccupied with ourselves and with what we have or don't have. We're so occupied with our Isaacs We don't even see the Lord or His plan or purpose for our lives. Genesis chapter 22, verse 5, Abraham says, And I and the lad will go yonder and worship. I circled the word worship. And I found something to be true. I found that this is the first time the word worship is used in the Bible. It's used a number of times after this. This is the first time we find the word term worship in the Bible. And so we can find a good idea about what God means when He's speaking about worship. We get a good idea of uh, when He explains it here. Then uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's a law or a principle in Bible study, 
And it's called this. It's the law of first mention. In other words, when the Bible mentions something the first time, the definition the Bible gives and the way it's used that first time, we can assume safely that that is the definition and how it's to be used the rest of the time in the Bible, unless God clearly indicates otherwise. Let me give you an illustration. This will help in your Bible. How many folks are glad you came to church today? Amen? Amen. Good. You with me? We're going somewhere with this. For instance, the law of first mention. First time something's mentioned in the Bible, the way it's used, what it means there, we can assume that's the way it should be used and what it means the rest of the time. Let me illustrate that. The word tongues. Hot item today. Tongues. Everybody, religious tongue, tongues, tongues. Tongues, the first time the term tongues is used in the Bible is Acts chapter 2. Pentecost. And if you'll read that whole context, you find that when Peter and the disciples spoke in tongues, all the people in the crowd heard them in their own language. The Egyptians, the Grecians, and those like 12 or so different nationalities mentioned there. And the Bible says each one heard them in his own language. They understood the wonderful words of God that they spoke. Now that's how tongues is used the very first time in the Bible. Therefore, the law of first mention tells us that the rest of the time, from that point on, whenever the term tongues is used, we are to assume it is to be used and means the same thing the way it was used and meant in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 is very clearly a language spoken, maybe not by the one speaking, but by those being heard. And so we interpret it the rest of the time in the Bible in light of that. Well, that's the way the word worship is. There's a lot of, the world has a lot of different definitions of worship. People have a lot of ideas about what worship is. You can go to ten different churches in Garrett County and they'll show you ten different ways of worshiping. My concern is not what some religious denomination says worship is. My concern is not what some reverend or a pastor or father or priest says worship is. My concern is what does God say worship is? And that's the purpose of this message. What is worship? We look at Abraham's worship. Now, if you're having a hard time sleeping, it usually helps if you don't put your hands down in your face like this. You know, if you sit up, it helps you stay awake. I found that I stay awake a whole lot better when I'm not laying in bed with covers over me and a pillow there than if uh, other times. So there's things we can do that help us. Amen? But I'm glad we can help you catch up on your rest. Not everything called worship is worship. Number one, what is worship? And I'll go through these quickly. I notice here, in Abraham's experience, he goes up on the mount, takes his son, offers a son. Now, let me fill in the blanks here a little bit. For those maybe not familiar with the story, when Abraham, he did what God said. He did go up in the mountains of Moriah. He did build an altar. He put wood on it. He had fire. His son questioned him going up. He makes an interesting statement. Uh, Isaac says, while they're going up the mountain, he says, Father, we have the wood for the sacrifice. We have the fire. But where is the lamb? Abraham makes an interesting statement. A few verses down, he says, God will provide himself a lamb. Faith. They get up there, he builds the altar, he puts the wood on, he takes his son, ties his son down to the altar. Imagine what's going through Isaac's mind. He takes the knife out to slice his neck to offer him as a burnt sacrifice to God. As he takes the knife out, an angel appears and says, Abraham, don't do it. I'm paraphrasing here. And he says, now I know that you'll obey me. 
Now I know that you love me more than you love your son. Now I know that I am everything to you, not the gifts, but the giver. And God spares Isaac. There's a ram caught in a bush, takes that and offers that to God. Now that's the story. Now what do we learn about worship from this? Number one, worship is based upon the Word of God. Our worship must always be based upon the Word of God. Uh, Look at verse number one, if you would. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here am I. And he said, God said, Take now thy son. This whole action, everything Abraham did here, this whole act of worship, if you will, was based upon what God said to Abraham. And every aspect of our relationship with God must be based upon the Word of God. And not everything that's stuffed inside it. But Abraham's worship of God was based upon what God had said to him. It wasn't something, he's not just coming up with some ideas and things to do. It was based upon the Word of God. Our salvation, every aspect of our relationship with the Lord must be based on the Word of God. For instance, our salvation, being saved from the judgment of God, the punishment of our sin, being saved from a life of sin, being saved from eternity, uh, separated from God in hell, the lake of fire. All of our salvation is not based upon what reverend so-and-so says or what pastor somebody says or some theory of man. Our salvation is based on the Word of God. Hey, if you don't have Bible salvation, you don't have salvation. Our, 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 our salvation must be based on the Word of God. Our service for God must be based on the Word of God. You say, well, it really doesn't matter. A young lady said to me years ago, she said, you know, as long as you love God, it doesn't matter what you do. Try that on your wife, fellas. As long as I love you, sweetheart, it doesn't matter what I do. No, because you love her, you will do certain things and you won't do other things. Amen. And our worship, our, our, our salvation is based upon the truths of the gospel found in the Word of God. Our service for God, once I'm saved, must be according to the Word of God. I can't go out here and just serve God however I think. We have a modern version of Christianity and just say, I can take this of the world and I can copy the world here and I can do this and that and just disregard the instructions God has given to us as to how we're to serve Him. So my salvation must be based on the Word of God. My service must be based on the Word of God. And our worship must be based on the Word of God. You say, what do you got? You guys, yeah, Baptist church, you guys worship the Bible. You know, I've thought that through. Do we worship the Bible? I don't worship the leather that binds it. I don't worship the paper it's written on. But the Bible is God's Word. The Bible is the expression of God to you and I. And so, I hesitate to say this, but there is a sense in that, yes, we do worship the Bible. In a sense. Now, we need to understand what the term worship means. The the word itself literally means to to, to bow down before. 
It means, it means to prostrate oneself before. That's what the word literally means. If you remember the definition I gave, it means I recognize what, whatever I'm worshiping, I recognize the position it holds, what it is in the position it holds, and what I am in the position I hold to it. So do we worship the Bible? Do we worship God's Word to us? Well, we worship God. But the Bible must be a part of that. The Bible is we submit to God's Word. We, we, we submit our actions, our life, our heart, our love, our devotion. We submit it to the Word of God in our worship of God. you follow what I'm trying to say? So worship, I see here in Genesis 22, Abraham says, we'll go worship and come again. I find out that that worship is based upon the revealed Word of God. And to act without the authority of God's Word is presumption. Man, man comes up with all kinds of theories and forms of worship. But only Bible worship is acceptable to God. Only Bible Christianity is acceptable to God. So number one, worship is based on the Word of God. Number two, worship is based upon obedience to God's Word. A lot of people go through religious ceremonies. And by the way, I don't know if you've noticed, I've mentioned it over the years, but I don't know if you've ever noticed, we don't call our church services, I don't, I don't call them worship services. I don't put them that way in the bulletin, I don't put them that way in the newspaper or advertising, I don't call them worship services. I call them church service, preaching service, something like that. Now, I'm not a stickler about it, and we have good friends, preachers that come through here, they call them worship services. You know, they're not apostate, we're not going to separate from them. But the reason I avoid that is this, I think it gives a false understanding of what worship is. Worship is not a ceremony that we go through. So what do you do? We're going to go to the worship service. So you come to church, walk in the back, alright, this is the worship service. What are you going to do when you leave? Stop worshiping? That's a misunderstanding of what worship is. Worship and I'm using different terms to define it here, but worship is simply to submit to God. Worship is based upon the Word of God and is also based upon obedience to God's Word. So you have people who go through religious ceremonies. In some of your maybe liberal churches, you know, they'll have very elaborate, laid out, pre-planned ceremonies and you do this and do that and at this time you do that and this time you do this. And you have all these external things. But Bible worship is not a ceremony, an outward ceremony I go through, but it is a submission and obedience of my heart to the Word of God. Hey, even in our Bible-believing, fundamental, independent Baptist churches like ours, I have no doubt we have people who carry their big King James Bibles, and they'll have their hymn books, and they'll lip the songs... And outwardly, they'll go through all the things that you're supposed to do in the church service. But if there is no obedience to the Word of God, there is no worship taking place. Abraham obeyed God. God said, take your son, your only son, take him to the mountains of Moriah, and there build a sacrifice, and offer him as a burnt sacrifice. Abraham says... I got, Abraham gets up, he takes his son, his only son, he takes the fire, the wood, he makes a trip to the mount, mountains of Moriah, and there he offers his son up as far as he did until God intervened, did exactly what God says, and he says, we are worshiping God. And so worship is based upon obedience to the Word of God. 
And so you have people, even in Bible-believing churches, lip through the songs, carry their big old Bible, they endure a sermon, they leave a tip in the offering plate, and they leave, and there was no worship taking place. There's no obedience. God bless you. I'm glad you're here this morning. I, I long for the day when every citizen of Garrett County comes to Mountain Lake Independent Baptist Church. No, I don't. That ain't going to happen. That's fine. But I tell you what, if you're here today, I'm glad you're here. You ought to sing the songs. You ought to be a part of the program in every aspect. But if there's some area of your life where you're living in disobedience to God, I'll be very frank with you. If there's some area of life where you're living in disobedience to God, according to the Bible, you're not worshiping God. You're just going through the motions. You're just singing words. You're just doing a ritual. Because worship is based upon obedience. Abraham obeyed God. Regardless of my outward ceremonies, if I'm not obedient to God, I'm not worshiping. If I'm not obedient to the Word of God, I don't have the blessings of God. So much Christianity in our world today is empty and shallow because there's no obedience to the Word of God. And somehow we've got this idea that I can decide what I'm going to do and I can pick and choose what God says, and yet somehow I'm still going to have the blessings of God on my life. Somehow I still have a vibrant relation with the Lord, even though I'm living in disobedience to God. That cannot be. Because true worship is obedience to the Word of God. Worship is simply to do what God says in faith. Believing that this is what He wants from me, therefore I'm going to obey Him. Number three, worship is based upon a surrender of self. Look at verse 2. And he said, Take now thine son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah. I think God chose his words very deliberately here. Do you notice what he says? God says, Take now thine son. That's all he would have had to say. Abraham would have known immediately and exactly who he meant if God would have just said, Take your son, get thee to the mountains of Moriah. But he doesn't stop there. He says, Take thine son. What's the next phrase? Come on now, talk to me. What's the next phrase? Thine only son, Isaac. Now God's being very deliberate here. God is doing more than just communicating information to Abraham who he wants him to bring. If all God wanted to do was let Abraham know who he wanted him to bring, all he would have said was, take thine son. But God is going beyond that. God is doing far more than simply giving some information to Abraham. God is dealing with Abraham's heart. He says, take thy son, thine only son. What's the next phrase say? Whom thou, what? Lovest. The most precious thing in the life of Abraham at this point was his son Isaac. And God is not, as I said, not just giving him some information as to which of the offspring of Abraham he wants to bring with him. All he would have had to say was, bring your son. Abraham would have knew immediately who he meant. But God's dealing with the heart of Abraham. God is not wanting Isaac dead. God is wanting Abraham dead. Dead to self dead to the things of this world, dead to anything but the Lord. And so God very deliberately chooses His words here so He can reach the heart of Abraham. And true Christianity is not some careless or thoughtless religion. 
True Christianity is something that comes from the heart of the believer. With the heart man believeth unto righteousness. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. God is concerned about who we are and what we are. He's concerned about our hearts. And if we're going to worship God, it is not some ceremony. It is not putting on a smiley face. It's not just saying praise the Lord. Worship is dying to self and putting all in the hands of God and saying, God, you are everything to me. You are my life. You are my purpose. You are my love. God, everything is yours. Thy Son, thine only Son, whom thou lovest. Religion is cheap. Christianity is costly. Cost my Dying to self, yielding my will to the Lord. You believe Jesus worshipped? Jesus worshipped. You know the greatest expression of worship I can find in the Bible is when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. And He's left the disciples behind. He's brought a few with Him. And He goes off by Himself. And the Bible says He began to sweat, as it were, great drops of blood. And Jesus worshipped His Father. And Jesus says, God, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Then he worships God and he says, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. That is worship. Abraham. God says, take your son, your only son whom you love, and offer him as a sacrifice. And Abraham says, not my will, but thy will be done. He worships God. I think Apostle Paul worshipped God. I believe Paul, of any New Testament character apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, displayed a lifestyle of worship. I mean, it wasn't some act he did. It wasn't a certain period of time of the day he worshipped God. It was his life. And he expressed it so powerfully in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. For I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. That's worship. Paul says, I'm crucified. I'm dead. Not my will. Not what I think. Not my plans for my life. But the Lord's plans for my life. He's the one that created me. He's the one that gave me everything I have. He's the one that gave me, gave me the abilities. He's all-knowing, all-powerful, all-wise. He is God. Amen. Not me living. It's God living. It's God's will. So worship is based on the Word of God. Worship is based upon obedience to the Word of God. And worship is based upon me surrendering myself to God. And let me give last of all and quickly, worshiping brings glory, and God, uh, brings glory to God and blessings to the individual. Let's jump ahead a little bit real quick. Look at Genesis 22. Look with me, if, it, if you would, at verse 15. And the angel of the Lord called unto Abraham out of heaven the second time and said, By myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing and hast not withheld thine son, thine only son, he worshipped God because he did that, that in blessing I will bless thee 
And in multiplying, I will multiply thy seed as the stars of heaven, as the sand which is upon the seashore. And thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in thy seed shall all nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice. And you could circle the word worship in verse number 5 and draw a line over to the last part of verse number 18. Worship is obeying the voice of God. And God says, because you have done this, Abraham, I will bless you. You have brought glory to my name. You have exalted me in the eyes of your son, in the eyes of your family and your household, in the eyes of the world. You have obeyed me. You have exalted me. You have worshipped me. You've brought glory to my name. And I'll bless you for that. God is pleased when we yield our will to His will. We are fulfilling our purpose in life when we surrender our will to the revealed Word of God given to us in the Bible. God blesses us when we yield ourselves to God's will expressed in the Bible. It's interesting. I would imagine Abraham came up to that altar with a heavy heart. Would you agree with me? Towing his son in hand, fire and wood. I just can't imagine I just can't imagine that. He went up to the altar with a heavy heart, but he obeyed God. He worshipped God. And he came down from the altar with a happy heart. He did what God said. God blessed him. God was glorified. And when he left there, he had some promises from God that he did not have before. He had the presence and the peace of God in his heart and life that he did not have before. He trusted God. He obeyed God. He worshipped God and God blessed him. I tell you what, it happens every Sunday all around the world. Folks come to church with a heavy heart, heavy burden. And God speaks to their heart through maybe a song or the preaching of the Word of God. Somehow the Word of God is used of God to touch a heart. Some instruction is given. Something is given to a soul, to the heart of a man by the Word of God. And God says, this is what I want from you. This is my will for your life. This is my plan. You can worship me, submit to this, or you can not worship me and keep, uh, keep things the way you want them to be. People come in with a heavy heart. God speaks to their heart. They worship God, submit to Him, do what He says, and they walk out with a happy heart. Burdens lifted. The joy of knowing that I'm in the will of God. The peace of knowing that I'm where God wants me to give. You say, God keeps saying, I need to give everything to God. I need to give my, my Isaacs to God. I need to give my life to God. Give my heart to God. Give my obedience to God. It's just give, give, give to God. Hey, i got news for you. You can't outgive God. You give God your life, He'll give you a greater life back. You give God your obedience, God gives you blessings a hundredfold back. You cannot outgive God. And we're not talking about finances, we're talking about the heart of people. My obedience, my faith, my love, my trust. Abraham is blessed of God when he worshipped. He came down off that mountain, I would imagine, with a greater appreciation of his son. Amen? 
He had a clear perspective of who was who and where was where. I'm telling you, I think if Abraham would not have offered up Isaac as God instructed him, if he would have said to God, no, I am not going to do that. You're asking too much of me. I will not obey you. I assure you, I don't know this for certain, but I feel very, very confident that Abraham and Isaac would have had a fallen out and that relationship would have been destroyed had he not yielded his son to God. But now it was secure. Blessings of worship. Blessed of God, a greater appreciation of His Son, a greater understanding of God's love and power. God appreciates all we do for Him. I'm certain of that. I believe that God delights in the gifts we bring. Our talents. A few moments at the beginning of the day, we come and spend some time in the Word of God, spend some time in prayer. Our tithes and offerings. So many people in the church this past month have given to the Lord uh, their efforts in giving out gospel tracts. By the way, we're doing that for the Lord, not for the church or me or the team. So many folks have... And God delights in all the things we give Him. God delights in all the things we do for Him out of a sincere heart. But I'll tell you what God wants. God wants our heart. God wants our love. God wants our submission. I have no doubt... The Spirit of God's dealing with some hearts this morning. Just like He spoke to Abraham's heart, Thine son, Thine only son, whom Thou lovest. God was dealing with the heart of Abraham. I wonder if this morning the Spirit of God isn't dealing with some hearts here. Hey, this is what I want. This is my will for you. This is what you need to deal with. Now we can worship. We can come to the mountains of Moriah altar, we can say, yes, Lord, here's my son, my only son. I put him on the altar, the one I love. I give him to you. Yes, Lord, here's my job. Yes, Lord, here's this. Here's my life. Here's my dreams. Here's my plans. This is my will. God, I give it to you. I worship you. Father in heaven, I pray you'd bless us. Help us to be a people who worship God. Not during some service or an hour or two program, but God, our life. 